Happy New Year, everybody. I know I'm a week late with that, but still, 2023 has begun. The winning formula. You know, this time of year, we are bombarded with winning formulas. The number one New Year's resolution, and so the number one thing that we're hit with on the winning formula is, here is how you get in good physical shape. That's number one. And then right on its heels, two and three are how to get in financial shape or how to get into relational shape, but all these winning formulas. And we're hit with all these, but how do you know which one works? You know, you want to get in physical shape. I saw that there's this apparatus. It's called the shake weight. So you just hold it and it shakes and you're going to get in great shape. I love the one that's the belt that you can just sit put the belt on, watch TV, eat chips, and it's going to give you six-pack abs. So you do nothing. It's doing all the work for you. Or how about how about I saw this Cocoa Krispies? Cocoa Krispies says that if you eat it, you know, for your kids, and they, they've taken it down since. This is a couple of decades ago. I think the FDA made them take it down, but it'll boost. It's the winning formula for boosting your children's immunity system. So there's so many winning formulas out there, but I think you and I can agree a lot of them are losing formulas, and we don't need a losing. Your life deserves not a mediocre formula, not a losing formula, but your life is so great that it deserves a winning formula. What is it? Hey, one last one. And I just, I I always think about this, uh, particularly this start of the year, about a winning formula works. You know, just 70 years ago that doctors recommended to us, like if we have anxiety, or we have a headache, or a toothache, or if we have, check this out, lung problems, or a whole myriad of other things, doctors would recommend that you smoke. Matter of fact, there's a, there's an advertisement I saw that I think is from about 70 years ago. Number one doctor recommended cigarette brand. And I think it was Campbell cigarettes or something. Unfiltered, unfiltered cigarettes. You think about that? Doctors smoked everywhere. They smoked in hospitals. They smoked in operating rooms. They smoked in delivery rooms. Like they're smoking while they're delivering the baby. And after the baby was delivered, they would hand mama smoke and then hand the baby at the same time. Can you imagine that? And you go to doctors now, right? And what's the first question they ask you? Do you smoke? And if you say yes, what do they say? Stop it. Stop it. Because that's what you should not be doing. That's a losing formula. But just 70 years ago, the doctors told us it was a winning formula. Absolutely amazing. So how in the world can we figure out a winning formula? Is there a winning formula? Does a winning formula actually exist? I think it does. And so what we want to begin today is three weeks on the winning formula that we have seen as we study God's word and we want to present it. There are three things and they all begin with the letter C and that's what the next three weeks are about. But today, today is the most important one because today is the catalyst for everything. And that is that Christ, Jesus Christ is that winning formula and Christ is the catalyst for any and every winning formula that exists in life. Now, I want to try to set it up, lay a foundation, because Christ is the foundation that we build upon. So I want to look at John chapter 1 to do that. Here's what it says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, we're going to be told in just a minute that that Word is Jesus, okay? But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, 
All things were made through him, and apart from him, nothing was made that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We looked upon his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, there are so many things that I would like to stop and say about this, but I'm going to try to stay focused here. We want to focus on life for the next three weeks, which is the Greek word here, as I just read, zoe. It is the key word in the Gospel of John. Here's what zoe means. It doesn't mean just existing. It doesn't mean an existence of life. No, no, far more. Zoe actually means thriving life. So we're not just existing, we are thriving in life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come to give you an abundance of life, an abundant life. So do you feel like, I know sometimes I do, that I'm just surviving, that I'm just existing? Okay, that is not what Zoe is about. It's not what the gospel of John is about, and it definitely isn't what the winning formula for life is about. This series that we begin today is about having a 2023 abundant, thriving life. Okay, so Christ is the catalyst for any and every winning formula. Now, Jesus is the foundation. The Bible says this in so many different ways throughout, okay? There is infrastructure, foundational stuff, and then there's superstructure, the stuff that we see. The infrastructure is stuff we don't see. The superstructure is stuff we do see, but we're really caught up with. Let me let me give an example. We needed to get a brand new front door for our house a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, there's just air was pouring in. It was, so we had to, we had to do it. So the salesman comes out, looks at the door, says, okay, uh, here you go. You can do this, this, or this. And, and I said, I said, I have a question though, because the, the, the door seems to be, it, it's, it's tilting. There's something wrong with the frame. He's like, ah, that's no problem. Okay. Our engineer is going to come out, but it's not going to be a problem at all. It will square it all that away and everything's good. So the sales was like, it's great. Okay. So then the engineer shows up and he looks at the door and says, Oh, no way. Your foundation is all messed up. You're going to have to rip out your front steps. You can't just put superstructure on there. You got to get the infrastructure right. And I was like, well, how long is that going to take? Because the door was going to take like a half a day to put it on. And the guy's like, this is going to take weeks. And we can't do it. You need to call another company because they got to get the foundation right. The winning formula that I want to talk to you about today is not superstructure. It's not the things that we get all excited about. You know, Krista and I are picking out doors and what does it look like? And we're all excited about different doors. We spent all our time on that. We didn't think one thing about infrastructure. But in order for the door to be right, we had to do infrastructure. And it did take them weeks. So there's no quick fixes to what I'm going to talk about today. Listen, it's the same thing with anything in life. If I want to get a great grade on a test, I just have to study a lot to do it. There's no quick fix. If I want to get in shape, I've got to eat right and I've got to do a lot of working out. If I'm in debt, I have to do the hard work of spending a whole lot less money and put a lot more money in savings and put a lot more money to the debt that I'm in. It's just hard work. And if anybody is saying to you there's a quick fix when it comes to a winning formula, even in the church, even from the Bible, stay away, stay away. That's a losing formula, okay? Infrastructure. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Don't lay another foundation. Here's here's some of the things the Bible says, right, in those verses, okay? So this is what we want to talk about. Now, what is the most famous formula 
in the world today. The most famous formula in the world. Okay, well, you can see it right there on your screen. What is that? E equals mc squared. Einstein's special theory of relativity. Let's talk about Einstein for a moment. I think he was about 26 years old when he finally came out with the papers on the special theory of relativity. He was working for a patent office. He released this, this theory of relativity by Einstein. Einstein and genius go together. So when you say somebody's really smart, you call them an Einstein. They're an Einstein. The guy was get out smart. He was incredibly smart. And his theory on relativity actually changed our world. That's how big it was. But after he came out with it, nobody really noticed. Nobody gave him much, you know, much attention to this for years. Like he applied for jobs after he came out with his special theory of relativity that changed the scientific world and he couldn't even get a job as a professor. That's why he's working at the patent office. Okay. Here's what he said in a, in a nutshell. I'm not a scientist, but I have read quite a bit about this. So just at a high level, he said, first of all, there's light. Everything in our universe starts with light. Matter of fact, he says, there is only one thing in our entire universe that is absolute. He said, there's light and there's space and there's time, light, space, time. But he said, it all has to start with light because light is the only thing in our universe that is absolute. It's unchanging. So at the speed of light, both space and time collapse down to zero. So they change, but light is unchanging. The speed of light is the same if I'm standing still and I shoot off, right? A beam of light at the speed of light, or if I'm on a rocket ship going a thousand miles an hour and I shoot the same beam off, the speed of light does not change. It does not ever, ever change no matter what. It is the only thing in our entire universe that is absolute. So the universe has to start with one thing that's absolute, and that one thing, according to Einstein, changed the world, is light. That is where it must begin. That's his famous equation or formula, the most famous in the world today. Okay, everybody, so there's Einstein's famous formula. Now, I want to go to some really famous verses in the Bible, and let's let's see what we see when we read them. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you thought, wow, that sounds a lot like John chapter 1, that's what we're basing this series on, then you're right. It's no coincidence. They just overlap. That's why we call... John chapter one is like recreation because this is what John is giving us. And he's pointing to Jesus Christ being the foundation of all new beginnings in, in our life. So they sound a whole lot alike. All right. Now, listen, before I read these next couple verses in Genesis chapter one, I need to say something else about Einstein. Einstein said, and science has confirmed this, that there is light energy and there's dark energy. And that actually 80%, roughly, of our universe consists of dark energy. You can't see it. It's not affected by light. You can shine light on it. It's unaffected by it. But we know that it exists. There's only 20% of light energy, but there's 80% of dark energy. And the two are two different things, but one is not affected by the other. Very interesting. Let's read these next verses. 
So Einstein says everything has to start with light. What's the first thing that God creates in Genesis chapter one? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. God separates light from darkness. In other words, when we think about turning light on, when you turn light on, there's no more darkness. It doesn't exist. But here you have light and darkness and they're existing at the same time. How did the Bible know that? Here's one of the fascinating things about the Bible, everybody. It's written in a way so so brilliant, so incredibly sophisticated that people can understand it 3,000 years ago, but people can also understand it today. So it's relevant for all time. What's the first thing Einstein said we have to start with? The one absolute, you have to start with light. Where does the Bible, what's the very first thing and in the entirety of the Bible that you start with? The very first thing that is created in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verses three and four is light. Now, Einstein says there's light and then you have to have space and you have to have time. There's three separations in Genesis chapter one. What are the three separations? I want to read them to you, but isn't it interesting that light and then you have a separation and then the second separation deals with Einstein's second one. Separation number two, he said, you got to have space. Here's what Genesis chapter one, six and seven says. Then God says, second separation, let there be a space to separate the water into two parts. So God made the space and separated the water. Some of the water was above it and some of the water was below it. Einstein says you start with light and then you go to space and time, okay? What does the Bible do? It goes light number one, separation number two is space. And then God begins to fill the space with stuff. But check this out, everybody. It's stationary stuff. It doesn't move. Because science tells us you got to have time in order for things to move. Okay, you got space, but you got to have time to go from point A to point B. So everything that's created, that God creates, is stationary after God creates space. Does anything start moving? Well, let's go to separation number three. And God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate day and night and let them serve as, when I think about lights, because now we're talking about sun, moon, stars, I think about warmth and I think about vegetation, all these kind of things. That's not what God's thinking about in Genesis chapter one. God says, I'm going to create these lights to do what? Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times of days and years. And what is so incredible to me, everybody, is Einstein says it's got to go light first and then it's got to go space and time. And what does the Bible say? It says the very first thing that God creates is light and then space and then time. And what do you need to move around? You got to have time. You got to have space, but then you got to have time. And now all of a sudden, everything starts moving around in creation after the creation of time. Things are flying, they're swimming, they're creeping all over the place. Now, people say that the Bible is anti science. I just can't figure out that that if the Bible is anti-science, how in the world 3,000 years ago before Einstein did it figure out the order in which the foundation, the infrastructure, not the superstructure, the infrastructure, the very foundation of a winning formula for life would be based on? How did it figure out all of that? So it says in John 1 that Jesus tabernacled among us. It also says in John that Jesus is the light of the world. He's for everybody at every time, everywhere. He is the light of the world. He is absolute. He is the word and the word of God is absolute. And he is the word. All of these things is kind of converging. So that's what it has to do. So Jesus is the very foundation, the infrastructure of the winning formula for our life. Now I need to talk about the tabernacle. It says 
He tabernacled among us. What is the tabernacle? Well, that is what they created. That's what human beings at the direction of God created when they were out in the wilderness. Jesus tabernacled among us. Now, here's the thing about the tabernacle. It is the great deconstruction project. So we have a world. God creates a world. Everything is great. He sets it up and then it all goes bad. It's filled with losing formulas all over the place and all the bad stuff that has existed in the world and the things that have existed in your life and in my life and all the bad choices and all the bad things. And so we need to be, as John says, born again. We need a fresh start. We need a new start. It's a new year. You need a new beginning and you need a winning formula. What is the tabernacle? It is God's great deconstruction project that you and I, get to participate in, and that's what I want to show you here and now. In order for it to be a deconstruction project, we have to get into the infrastructure, okay, and it has to be inverted from what happened in Genesis chapter 1, and that's that's where the tabernacle begins. Now, we're told a guy by the name of Bezalel is the one that God gave the spirit in order to have the craftsmanship to do it. What does the word spirit mean? Well, we see spirit at work in John chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. It's ruach. It's this word that means wind, breath, but it also means brain. God gave Bezalel the brain to build this incredible tabernacle. And it says he is the son of Uri. You know what Uri means? It means light. You know what Bezalel means? It means image. Bezalel, image, right? The image of, and he's the son of light, and he's the grandson of her, H-U-R, and that name means out of nothing. Wait a minute. (laughs) That sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1 in this great deconstruction project. All right, cherubs in the garden. So when Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, there's cherubs there and they have drawn swords. What do they do? They're separating. Humanity can't come back into God's world separating out. Where's the only other place in all of scripture we find cherubs? Voila, <laughs> the tabernacle, the tabernacle, except there's no drawn swords because God is saying, I want you to come back in. Now we have to invert the whole process, right? And here's the interesting thing. You find cherubs at three locations. Three specific locations. So the tabernacle. Look at the tabernacle on your screen. It has a big covering, right? It has this, this, this big tent and it has this covering over it. So when you walk into the tabernacle, you can no longer see the sun and the moon and the stars. So time stops because that's why God created. So in version number one is we have to deconstruct time. So you walk in, God made time and he put the sun up there to mark time. And now you go into this tent. What is on the tent? Cherubs are woven into the tent. Cherubs are the great separators to do what? To stop time. So we're tearing that infrastructure down and you walk in and now you can't see God made time, the sun, the moon and the stars. What we have, you have a man-made light. It's a candle. There are candles in there to mark time. What else is in that, what we call the holy place, okay? You have a table, and on it is bread. And 12 loaves of bread are made, each for each tribe of Israel. And who eats the bread? The priests eat the bread. When do they eat the bread? Every seven days. So they make bread. Now, when I read this for years, it didn't make a bit of sense to me. It's okay. 
All right, once every seven days on the Sabbath, they eat the bread. But if you were around in a desert 3,000 years ago, that would have caught your attention. I'm not eating that bread after it's sat out because it sits out on the table uncovered for seven days in the desert, in the heat. What's going to happen to the bread? It's going to taste terrible. Yet we're told bread is still fresh after seven days. How could it be fresh after seven days? Because time doesn't exist, everybody. Because you've just deconstructed time. So the priest eats it one day a week. That is after, that is after it sat out for seven days on this table. Because there needs to be 12 loaves on the table at all times. So the first place you see the separation, you see the cherubs, and they're woven into the tent, and now you deconstruct time. Now what do you got to deconstruct? You got to deconstruct space. So where's the second great separation that you find in the tabernacle? Well, it's when you go through the curtain in between the holy of place and the holy of holies. That's the great second separation. What is in the holy of holies? The ark is in the holy of holies. Now, amazingly, we are told this thousands of years ago in the Talmud that the sages say that the ark didn't take up any room. But we know that the ark takes up room. We know the dimensions of the ark. It takes up space, but we're told it doesn't take up any space. Now, when you walk into the Holy of Holies, what space are you in? You're in the space of light. And at the speed of light, both time and space go to zero. We know this from Einstein, goes to zero. So the ark doesn't take up any space. And then you get to the third great separation, the third place where you see the cherubs, and where are they? They're at the covering over top of the ark, and there's no swords, because you can't have a sword in the tabernacle. No swords are to be there, because you beat your swords into plowshares, because God is not saying stay out like the garden. God is working with man to create a new space for God in order that there would be overlap between God and man so we could have a winning formula in Jesus Christ, the tabernacle, so that we could live. And so there's no swords there. The third place where you see it is here, the cherubs and their wings are over covering this ark. And what is in the ark, everybody? The Ten Commandments on two tablets. And what do they represent? All of God's word, their light. Light is the only absolute thing in the world. And what does the Bible say that the word of God is? It's absolute. It's here today and forever. It always exists. Light always exists. It's absolute. It's what you build your life on. It's the very foundation. You have to start with light. You have to start with God's word. And Jesus Christ is the word. He's here yesterday, today, and forever. And what do the sages tell us? They say that the Ten Commandments were written with dark energy, dark fire, onto white energy, white fire. How did they know that? You have to bring back together the dark energy with the light energy that was separated in Genesis chapter 1, and you find it all coming back together. Everybody, listen. I can't explain everything to you about Jesus Christ today, but what we're going to do now and for the next nine months, for the next 40 weeks, the time it takes for a baby to be born, is we're going to kick the ball down the hill today. And for the rest of these next nine months, we're going to chase that ball because I can't begin to scratch the surface of Jesus Christ, the light of the world who exists. The one thing the Bible says that is absolute that you and I can build our lives on the infrastructure, the foundation. The one winning formula that we can say, you know what? There's so much more to be learned about Jesus Christ. 
everybody. How did the Bible get this right 2,000 years ago? Because it knows what is best for you and what is best for me. It knows the formula that works. And I want to encourage you to commit yourself to the one winning formula that we know that absolutely works. Christ is the catalyst for any and every winning formula in the world. Every winning formula in the world. If there's ever a formula that works in this world, long-term that really works, it finds its foundation in Jesus Christ. And that is what we want to dig into for the next nine months. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you present us with the one winning formula that's tried and true, it's proven, it's proven by science. We can stand on this winning formula of Jesus Christ, the perfecter of our faith, the sure foundation, God. Help us to commit ourselves to this and to not turn back because our lives need a winning formula. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, everybody, before we go, I want to encourage you, just come out to TJ. We're doing a coat drive, January 15th, January 22nd. Come on out, bring a coat, bring a couple coats. It seems like all of us have a couple coats in the closet somewhere. We want to bless people who need the warmth of a coat. January 15th, January 22nd. And as I'm thinking about it, I just want you to think with me, imagine, dream with me, what will our coat drive be like next year when we're in the brand new Boston Quarter Mall? when we can partner with all the other businesses in there and they can collect coats and we can run around and collect them and we can just, man, we can turn that whole mall into a center of compassion and justice for people who need the warmth of the coat. That's going to be awesome. Anyway, God bless. Have a great day.